Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. I'm Brie, and I am recording our intro separate today because for some reason, the original intro in today's episode is completely gone. <laughs> so in today's episode, Erin and I are joined by the incredible author Caridad Pinero. We have been so excited to get her on the show, and it was just such an amazing opportunity to have the like sit down chat with her. So we hope that you enjoy today's episode. As always, make sure you check the show notes. We'll have links to all the places you can keep up with Caridad and like get her books. And yeah, on with the show. We hope you enjoy. One of the things I'm really nostalgic about is the old literacy signing at RWA. Um, it used to be amazing to be in a room with five or 600 other romance authors and, you know, the publishers would donate the books. Um, so all the sales went to a local literacy organization, which was such a good cause. And there was such a vibe of having the authors and the readers all getting together to support that kind of cause. And I really miss um that we don't have it anymore. I mean, I understand all the drama at RWA, but still we lost um, that and so many other wonderful things that the group used to do. I feel like, um, I mean, we're seeing signings again, but I do just feel like the world of signings has changed so much. It, it has, and it's become harder for authors because, you know, to participate in some of these signings, you really got to lay out big bucks um just for a table or something so it's very different than having that free platform available where you have so many readers just streaming by and getting to meet you we love hearing romance origin stories so can you share with us how you became a romance reader sure um well my mom and my grandmother were big um romance readers and um they read in spanish which was very different for me um because i you know and the Spanish romance books are almost like graphic novels. There was one author, Corinne Tellado, um, and it literally was a comic. So even though I, you know, I could read in Spanish, you, you know, the pictures kind of helped you along. But um, my mom was an avid reader and she would read all kinds of books, including people like Taylor Caldwell and people who had kind of romance elements. And so when she was finished with a book, even at an early age, at 10 or 11, I would pick up that book and be reading. Um, and then one summer I was working at Altman's, as I mentioned before, and um, I was in the book department because back then the department stores had book departments and there was this big dump that was always empty and it was for Shana. And I would have to refill it. And as soon as I refilled it, it would empty out. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, what is this? It had that lurid pinkish embrace on the cover. And I said, it's got to be something. Everybody's always buying it. And I read it and I thought, oh my gosh, this is what I love to read. And this is what I want to write. Um, and from then on, I just went through the book section every time I had a moment and I picked up, you know, Joanna Lindsay and John Devereaux and all the, you know, Jennifer Blake, the big masters of romance at the time. And I just knew this was it. I'd found my, my niche of reading and writing. What, at what point in your life did you realize you wanted to pursue writing professionally? This, uh, in the fifth grade. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a teacher, an English teacher, who walked into class and said that we had to write a book for a class lending library. Um, so for a month before class was supposed to end, we had to deliver a 20-page typed book. And I went home that day and I started writing and my poor mom had to help me type. It was 120 pages <laughs> and it was a romance. I didn't know it back then. Um, and so I had this thick book that went up into the class lending library. It was a hit. 
hint hit because there was kind of like almost a kiss and you know when you're in the fifth grade that's a big deal that's a big deal uh, so um <laughs> yeah and from then on I just knew I wanted to be a writer and I kept at it over the years through high school college law school and you know I was lucky enough to finally be able to to accomplish that many years later so the the criteria for the assignment was 20 pages and you wrote 120 pages. 20 pages. Yeah, I just had this story and it just came out of me. I'd always had little stories in my head as a kid. You know, when I went to bed, I would make up stories and it never occurred to me that I could take that and put it on paper. So thank that fifth grade teacher. I even remember her name, Miss Krishenko. Um, but, you know, she was the one who kind of inspired me that I could actually put those stories on paper and have something that other people might want to read. Yeah. 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 yeah that's, that's <laughs> incredible. That's a great story. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to cut to the chase here. Okay. This is all complete air and question. You yeah. wrote for the nocturne line, which right. we, we have a lot of love here for, on the podcast for, um, how did you get started writing for that line? And, and, you know, talk about yeah. your, your time writing for it and how it all came to an end. Right. Well, to be honest, actually, one of my books, Death Calls, helped launch the line um, when it first came out. And it all came out of Silhouette Intimate Moments because there were a group of, I'm going to say roughly a dozen of us who were writing paranormals. At the time, there was no paranormal line for either Silhouette or for Harlequin. Silhouette had had one. Many years earlier, I forget what they called it, but, you know, paranormals had kind of died off and, and there was no place to put us, but I have to oh, give this to Harlequin. the shadows, the shadows That's line. it, silhouette yeah. shadows, okay. yeah. Um, I have to give this to Harlequin. When they thought they had a good book, they would find somewhere to put it. And so I had actually had this back and forth with an editor. She had wanted to look at some other stuff. She ended up not buying that but then she said what else do you have and I remember sitting at RWA and saying to her I have something but you don't want it and we went back and forth I said no really this is nothing that you do and she said no I want to see it after I told her about this vampire suspense book and um and they bought it and I was like but you have nowhere to put this right and so <laughs> silhouette yeah silhouette in moments was kind of their catch-all line for books that had this big mainstream feel but that they didn't have anywhere to put um okay. and so it was not only me but it was um nina bruns michelle hoff kendra elliott um viviana um, there were a whole bunch of us who were doing paranormal then but for intimate moments and i and we had been doing so well with the stories that they said, well, why not break them out? And that's how Nocturne came about. They had decided they were going to take all of these authors out of intimate moments and put them in this line since we were all doing varying kinds of um, paranormal stories. Um, and so the line was born, um, Death Calls, which was uh, part of my The Calling is uh, Vampire series. Um, I think it was the fourth book in the series. Um, helped launch it and then they also did something which I think maybe was why the line didn't take off um, and that is that they brought in some other more established writers 
but they didn't have the same vibe as the newer ones, you know, as those of us who were just getting started. So I think there was a clash. And I even remember readers saying, well, this is nothing like, you know, Karen Ann's books or Vivi's books or Michelle, you know, they had a very different style. They were older writers that had a, an older writing style. Um, and they were very much more romances rather than this meld of paranormal and romance, if you know what I, I mean. Yeah. And so I think there was a disconnect with the readers. Um, and then um, in order to um, kind of, you know, get more interest in it, they started bringing in um, big names like N N Nalini Singh and others. And in the meantime, a lot of us found like these series that we've been writing instead of having books out every six months or every year, I mean, it was two years. And oh, wow. in fact, at one, oh. at one point they gave back one of my books because it had been over three years since I delivered it. Um, and so there were just so that, many authors, there was just so much. There was so much, there were so many authors and then they notched, not um, released Cravings. I don't know if you remember that. The novellas. Um, which was, yeah, the erotic paranormal novellas. And I had done a half dozen of those for them. Um, so I think the problem was that there was this disconnect between the newer paranormal writers who were edgier, darker, um, and some of the others. And I think it just didn't pick up enough groundswell, um, which is, I think I forget when the line ended. Um, but by then, a lot of us had moved on from the line, the ones who had originally been the core that they brought over to to start the line. Um, so it was a shame because, um, you know, we really had some very new and unique um, series. Like I, I thought the Calling series is, it's a series of my heart um, because it was different. Um, I like to call it Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets the X-Files um, because that's really what it was. It was this mix of paranormal with suspense. Um, and then, you know, we had a diverse heroine um, and other diverse characters in the storyline. I had a mixed race, um, you know, female in temptation calls. I had vampires from all different cultures because that's the fascinating thing about vampires. Every culture has one, you know, there's Ravenna in Indian culture, Chiang Shi for the Chinese, the Chupacabra. And so I love bringing in all these other different cultural vampires uh, against the typical European vampire, which is what we usually see. Um, and I think readers enjoyed that. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it just didn't happen. And I eventually I moved the series somewhere else. And I know I have to finish it. I've been struggling with writing the very last book in the series for a very long time. I just can't say the end to uh, Diana and Ryder, who were the main characters of the series. Well, yeah, we need it's... you to go ahead and finish it, though. <laughs> I know. I, I know. I do need to finish it. And I've also been thinking about doing a spinoff because readers who follow this series, there are actually a number of children from mm -hmm. the various couples. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, wouldn't this be fun to have a shapeshifter child and a damn fear and all of these different, oh, or right. the kids, the kids of the original people um, kind of, yeah, have, you know, take off. And uh, I've thought about that. And when time allows, I do plan on doing it. But right now it's been a little crazy. Yeah. I mean, we see it in like small town romance all the time, right? Like people are like, don't end a series. There's always right. kids and cousins. Why not do it in paranormal? There's kids yeah. and cousins. <laughs> yeah, why not? You know, <laughs> I think it would be fun to have that mix of the the different kinds of uh, paranormal creatures and uh, with humans too, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. I really yeah. love that you 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 touched on something that Aaron and I talked about recently. We we focused on romantic suspense back in February on the podcast and something that really I think works for both of us is if there's like a paranormal aspect like we need something else and like I know for me like I really love if there's that paranormal aspect with the romantic suspense so to hear that nocturne really was birthed kind of from intimate moments it's like that makes total sense <laughs> that makes total sense yeah. Because yeah, in, no, in most sure. nocturnes, there is a suspense, there's a romantic suspense element. There, there is, because they're either, you know, my ones, they would be either dealing with serial killers, who are they human or not? Um, they dealt with all different crimes. Um, but there's always, you know, that the paranormal itself is a mystery. Mm -hmm. And how you incorporate it in there just adds a whole new level um, to the storylines. Um, so it was, for me, a lot of fun to be able to do that. And of course, a natural thing for then the editors to say to me, well, you know, Caridad, would you write for Silhouette Romantic Suspense? Or like now, um, I loved working with Harlequin. Um, they were fantastic editors, fantastic um, publishing house. I One of my goals, I actually retired from my full-time job, was to um, get back with Harlequin. And after looking at what they did, I decided Intrigue was a line that really suited me best in terms of my writing. Um, and I'm so happy to be writing with them again because it's been a blast and they've been very supportive and just amazing. Were you still writing for the Nocturne line when Harlequin took over Silhouette? Um, yes. And yeah, you, I, yeah, I was. Did you notice a, a change in, in how things operated at all during that time? No, not really, because by then Harlequin already owned Silhouette. They had bought Silhouette many, many years before that. Okay. So it was the same um, crew of editors and everything. Nocturne did get its own executive editor um, to to run it when it got spun off. Um, but I was still working with my own editor who would I who I'd had at Silhouette and Imminent Moments, who'd been my editor for at least five or six years. And I continued and continued being uh, my editor for a long time. Um, for Harlequin Intrigue, I do have a new editor and she's a pleasure to work with. Um, and as I said, they've been very supportive. And in particular, you know, when you think Harlequin, you don't think diversity. And yet, you know, back in 2001, was it? Or maybe 2004, uh, you know, Darkness Called had a diverse uh, character. And over the years, you know, we've written many diverse characters for them and, and likewise now for Harlequin Intrigue. Um, so they've been very supportive of that and of treating diverse authors as just their authors, you know, not, I don't know, I don't, not, not signaling us out or othering us or whatever term you want to use. We're just one of their authors and they support us and they embrace that difference in the books. Yeah. And I sneak one more question oh, in before Aaron sure. goes, um, did you write for Bombshell? You know, no, I didn't, but we had actually submitted something to Bombshell, a group of us, and we were on the precipice of signing a contract when they ended the series. And then they oh. ended it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, because it was such a great idea. It was three of us. It was about crystal skulls with powers. And oh, we were so bummed. I mean, we need you guys to still write it. You guys need to just yeah. put it out now. <laughs> literally, we were on we had just written a collaboration agreement because they asked for that and we're on the point of signing when 
just went and that was a great line it was a great concept too and in fact i think some of the authors who did write for intimate moments like viviana were part of bombshell um and i think it's time for another one like that yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah i think it would do well today yeah well do you feel that paranormal is on a comeback or would you put monster romance in its own separate category that's interesting. I have not read any, but my daughter and her friends love the monster ones. Um, <laughs> I think Paranormal is making a comeback, but in different ways. Um, like one of the ones they like, I think, is it Ice Planet Barbarians or oh, something yeah. like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it is. And I would definitely just put those as a subgenre of Paranormal. Um, and I think that's the wonderful thing about Paranormal is that it, it's very adaptive to just all different kinds of of creatures and things um and i think you know it's always there on the fringes and i think like everything else it cycles um so i think it it, it is and it will come back um although right right now you see obviously you know wrong now they're calling it rom-com. And when I wrote it, they called it chiclet, you know, um, that's making that comeback. You see a lot of the top names right now are doing those rom-com kinds of things. Um, so I think every kind of genre, subgenre kind of cycles in and out. Um, so I think it's time for paranormal um, to do that. Yeah. Do you think vampires will ever see the spotlight again? Well, I don't know if they like spotlights, uh, Brie, but... <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but um, I definitely do. I mean, they're so sexy. They're so mysterious. Um, I just saw the other day that uh, HBO was having like a true blood uh, marathon, all the seasons, all the episodes. Um, so I definitely think that they'll, they'll be back around. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I just think uh, people have this fascination with, the dead and the undead and we've just survived a pandemic and where that is a topic that's you know in our brains like you know death and revival because uh, we are going through a revival now after that mm. um so i think they will make a comeback uh, maybe in a different way um if mm. you look at zombies i mean look how popular zombies have been there's a lot of zombie romance out and that's the other thing i think sometimes some things get played out there's just too many of them Mm -hmm. um and that dies down and i think for a while there there were just too many vampire stories you know yeah. um so i think you know it's going to come back and hopefully with balance um yeah the balance i think like if i go to because we have um here it's called half price books so it's like a thrift bookstore but sometimes there's they have a lot of new stuff too but their paranormal romance section out of their entire romance section tends to have a ton of books that people have like you know donated or traded for you know money and when you look at it it's like it's this moment in time that you're like physically kind of seeing and you're like there was a lot of authors doing this at like this in this specific time and it's like if it comes back do we you're you can just like people are going to be excited people are going to want to do it but we don't want too much of it you know like mm -hmm. we don't want yeah. it to become oversaturated and people get tired of it and it go away again yeah. <laughs> right that's what historical happens. I mean, like historical has been around forever and it's never went away and it's just because it kind of feels like there's only so many authors that do historicals you know mm -hmm. no it's true and even now you know you look at small town romance is the big thing um and again you know you know everybody i don't want to say you know a lot of people say, oh, that's what's popular. Let me write that. And I always tell aspiring writers, don't write to trends. Mm -hmm. 
By the time you finish the book, the trend will be gone. Write what's in your heart. It's the passion that sings on the pages, not you trying to chase down what you think might be popular. Uh, but I think that's what happens is that, um, especially we have self-publishing now where you can do anything you want whenever you want. And so people have a tendency, you know, I've heard this right to market, right to market, you know, and so they're, you know, so something gets flooded. Um, and then you have to be like, well, okay, this is a flooded market. How do you stand out? Um, and again, I think the issue is write what speaks to your heart and that will make it stand out. Um, and so, yeah, I think you do see these cycles where just, there's too much of something. Um, and I think that's what happened with paranormals and especially during the era of Nocturne, um, you know, there was just so much of, of that out there. And that also could have been what contributed to um, the line never really taking off. And it's just, there was so much out there for people to read. Well, can you share with us what your journey to becoming published was like? Um, well, I, as I said, I, I mean, I'm fifth grade. There was a lot of time there. And um, after high school, I actually um, took about a month off before working uh, before, you know, once I worked, I took a month off before I started college to write the novel of the my heart, um, which is still sitting on my computer somewhere. But um, as it turned out, I just kept on writing, kept on writing. And many years later, after I had my daughter, I realized you haven't done this. You said you wanted to be published and here you are, you have a daughter, you've got a career and you keep on writing, but you haven't taken that next step. You know, it's just to reach out to somebody and try to get published. Um, and what happened was we got an adult ed brochure in the mail and I look and there's a class by Fern Michaels and I'm like, an adult ed class by Fern Michaels. I said, if I in an alternate universe, how is this happening? And I lived in Edison, New Jersey at the time. And I'm like, how is this possible? And I'm like, my husband sees my interest. I said, I don't have enough time to do this. I've got a child. I've got a career. I've got this. I got that. And I put it aside. Well, wouldn't you know it? Like two weeks later, I get a notice that I've signed up for the class. He my husband in for you my husband signed me up for the class and it was it changed my life because so I reluctantly go to this class and Fern Michaels was absolutely amazing I mean this is a New York Times best-selling author at this point mm -hmm. and she would take our stuff home and read it and critique it and then help us in class with concepts and things and I was like wow and about two or three weeks before the class ended, she said to me, how much of this do you have? And I said, well, I'm about halfway through. And she says, would you print it out and give it to me? I want to give it to my editor. And I did. And she did. And the editor said, well, this is great, but we have nowhere to put it. You know, it was set during the Cuban Revolution. So, you know, romance has boxes. It wasn't historical. It wasn't contemporary. And she said, do you have something else? Do you maybe have the next generation of these people or whatever? I went home and I started working on it. Anyway, this editor connected me with, with agents and everything. And that started my, wow, this is really, I actually could possibly sell something. And Fern was at um, Kensington at that time. And many years later, after two or three years of writing and rewriting um, this other story, sent it off to Kensington. Um, and this new editor who I knew nothing about writes back and said, well, this is really great, but you know, we have this new line we're gonna launch. Nobody knows about it. It's called Encanto. It's gonna be the nation's first Latino romance line. This is way too long. Do you have something shorter? And I went home. I had already been toying with that idea. And literally I went home and, and I said, yeah, I have something I could have it for you. And within about three weeks, I had a synopsis and three chapters and I sent it off. She bought it. 
Oh my gosh. And, and, <laughs> and that was it. It was like, wow, I got the call. I remember it was a good Friday. I was visiting my mother-in-law. My husband calls and she goes, some lady, my husband's very involved in this, obviously. Um, <laughs> some lady called, she couldn't even get your name right. So I think it was a junk, you know, junk call or spam caller. She goes, but she says she's an editor from so-and-so and here's her phone number. And I'm like, and sure enough, it was the call. So I called her back. The junk she call. Said, the junk call. I'm saying, so I'm glad he didn't ignore her and not write it down or whatever. Um, and yeah, I called her and she said, I want to buy your book. And they ended up buying a second book. They ended up buying eight books in total from me. Oh my God. Um, for that line. But sadly, you know, that line likewise, um, you know, it went belly up. I feel like I'm the line killer. Um <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But um, yeah, and it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. Um, it, my book was one of the launch books. It was on the cover. I don't know if you could see it right here. It's on the cover of um, Romantic Times. Because they would um, have like one page in Spanish and one in English. Is that right? Uh, it was, you flip the book over. So the front of the book was okay. English. The back of the book was Spanish. Okay. And then readers sure. complained about paying um, single title price for category length books. So then they broke them apart that they became two independent books. Um, but we couldn't just, you know, we couldn't get distribution um, in a lot of places that would have been key, like California and Texas and Florida. I mean, you know, major places that, you know, and a lot of those places were buying the Spanish language versions, which yeah. were being translated. No, most of us didn't write Spanish, some did. Um, and so it just really, um, unfortunately, didn't take off. Um, because it was a great concept. Um, and for me, it was so exciting. Um, as one of the launch authors, you know, I went on TV, all different kinds of stations. I even, they even did a CNN interview that unfortunately ended up on the cutting room floor, but it was just an amazing thing as a first time author to have all these kinds of experiences, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it was timing? Like if, if, if Encanto was coming out today, do you think it would be received better? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, you know, my experience with Harlequin was that I was able to sell so many more books by not saying it was a multicultural book. People just accepted okay. it. Okay. They accepted the characters. They didn't think about that. And it always makes me wonder, like, if you sell to a niche, do you limit yourself to that niche? Um, and if you sell the book, it's just a great book with diverse characters do you expand who you reach? Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. the answer is, I don't know. Because um, when you look at people like, um, who's the one that my daughter just had me reading? Um, Christina Lauren. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the Unhoneymooners. Did you know that that was a multicultural book off the bat? No, uh, no, no, no. Yeah. No. no. Would it have sold as much if somebody had said this is a multicultural book? Good question. So, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. So I think you kind of limit yourself sometimes. Um, it's a good book. It shouldn't matter the color of the characters, their diversity, their gender, what identity, whatever it is. Um, and again, my experience with Harlequin has been that I, I don't need to tell people that. And the books yeah, sell. They sell. You know, like, you know, like the latest series, you know, they sell. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure yeah. is the answer, whether... Yeah, putting it in that niche market is good or bad. Well, speaking of Harlequin, you do, you're giving us titles, I think, in one of the 
really most popular line, the intrigue line. Um, people love their romantic suspense. Um, what do you enjoy about writing for intrigue? Like, what's oh, the best part it. for you? Um, I love the mix of romance and action. Now, intrigue leans more towards more action. Mm-hmm where sometimes that's a challenge for me because I was very heavy. Even when I wrote suspense, it was really um, the romance that drove the story. Whereas with intrigue, it's the suspense that drives the story. And that's the big difference between it and silhouette romantic suspense. And silhouette romantic suspense, it's the romance that drives the plot. Um, And the action is incidental, but it's the absolute reverse with, um, with intrigue. And so it's a challenge for me because I love all that action and adventure, um, but I also love the romance. So my books have a tendency to be 50-50 and I could tell from the reviews, they're like, oh, you know, I expected a little bit more action, but I really like this book anyway. Um, I get, I, I noticed to see a lot of that. So as a writer, when I read those reviews, I'm like, oh, okay, I have to do a little bit more to meet the reader expectations about, you know, what's happening. Um, so I love that challenge and I love thinking of new and different action plots. Um, and that's been a challenge for me because I don't want to do the same old, same old, I don't always want it to be a kidnapping or drugs or this or that. Um, so it's been a challenge for me to think of different kinds of plots, action plots, so that readers don't think, oh, she's doing the same old, same old. Um, especially when you have a series, um, like this last one is uh, a three book series that we're spinning off for next year to have another four books. Um, So I don't want it to be the same old, same old for readers. I always want to give them something new and different. Were you a mystery reader growing up? No, but I'm a true crime fanatic. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm always wondering how romantic suspense authors get into that. (laughs) No, I really don't. And I think I think the reason why is because a lot of books like Agatha Christie, some of these books I'm like, ugh, is like either they drop somebody at the end who did it, who they never laid the groundwork for. And that frustrates me. Don't pop mm. somebody out like the butler did it when you saw the butler for two seconds. Yeah. Um, and some of the other ones, it's kind of like I'm, I have a very logical mind. And so it's like, ugh, I know what they I know who did it like by page 15. Yeah. So I really don't write, you know, read that many um, romantic suspense authors. I did read Karen Rose a lot. I used to love her stories, um, but I, I, I didn't, but I love true crime. And it's funny, like when my husband's going off to bed at night, he just flips on oxygen because he knows all I want to do is watch <laughs> Snapped and, you know, all these other, you know, 2020, whatever's on there, uh, Dateline. And, um, and sometimes I glean little bits and pieces of those to, to actually create my my stories yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. the beauty of it <laughs> yeah it's homework <laughs> like brie said we had our romantic suspense books club episode uh last month and one of the themes we talked about was the balance of romance and suspense elements so how do you as a writer strike that balance in your books um it, it's tough um like I said, for, for intrigue, it's very much the action that dominates. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the book I'm writing right now, I'm struggling a little with it because the way it starts, it's very much more about the romance and I know I have to get that action in. Um, so I have a tendency to kind of plot out the first 10 chapters or so and try to focus on that action thing and then how the romance 
kind of weaves into the action in mm -hmm. terms of the characters being in certain areas, how it affects them, um, and dropping all those little mystery and action hints along the way. Um, and I said, and like I said, for certain stories, it actually becomes more of a challenge if for some reason the characters and their romance really calls to you more than what the action plot is. Um, so I have to find that balance. And so I do it by trying to outline at least the first uh, 10 chapters. And then from then on, the book kind of moves on its own. Well, you've touched quite a bit on intimate moments, but we're always like trying to show love to lines that have been closed. There are still books out there for people to go get. Um, so for anyone that hasn't read intimate moments, how would you describe it in comparison to like what we're getting today? Is it very similar? Were there differences? What do you think? I just think intimate moments had such a wide, um, reach of different stories it basically was books that were bigger than just category books you know the themes in them the concepts um were like big feature film kind okay. of things um mm -hmm. but that were shorter so people who liked you know single title things where there were more issues um where there was a lot of different things going on could find that in a shorter book um, and the nice things about shorter books, and I and I and I think this is why people still love category, is if you don't have a lot of time to read because you're either, you know, a mom or or you have a career, and being mom is a career too. But you know what I'm saying? You're a woman who doesn't have a lot of free time. You could pick up a category book and get your satisfaction. Yeah. in a very and quickly short... quickly <laughs> yeah. exactly quickly um and i think that was the great thing about intimate moments is you had this you had these big feel stories but had that shorter length so that you could get your satisfaction in an afternoon or in two or three days when you didn't have the time to read the story for six days or whatever when it was you know, a much longer book. And that was the great thing about it. And I think that's why a lot of the paranormals ended up in there because there were these big new concepts um, and these very developed stories and worlds, but in that shorter time frame. Yeah. Um, and I think that was what, what was great about it in my moments. And you had small town and you had family stories. Um, you know, you had paranormals, you had suspense, um, you just had this whole mix of so many different things so that no matter what four books you got that month, you were going to get great reads and they might've been different reads. So you weren't kind of just stuck in one genre. And I think sometimes we do, we get stuck in reading just one kind of book and you know, the line lets you broaden your horizons by having so many different um, concepts in, in a line in one month. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, we want to congratulate you on the release of, Biscayne Bay Breach. Did I pronounce that Bis right? Biscayne Bay Breach. Biscayne Bay, <laughs> Bay Breach. Yeah. Uh, so that's the third book in your South Beach Security series. Can you please tell us all that you can about this book in the series? Yeah. Well, I, you know, this was the the third book. Um, it's characters who you've met in the earlier two books. I love doing that. I think I love it as a reader. So I love doing that as a writer. So you've actually met the hero, John Wilson, 
um, and actually the very first book in this series, Lost in Little Havana. Um, and Mia, who is the heroine, is actually the baby sister of the brothers in the first two books. So she's finally getting her own books. And Mia really is a trip. Uh, she's a social media influencer with a very successful career uh, of her own. Um, and she's had a dalliance with John um, Wilson, who's the, the hero. He's uh, the owner of a big software company. He's just become a multimillionaire from selling it off. Um, and he's kind of like a nerd kind of being called to be a hero kind of situation, which I love. <laughs> Um, he's not really beta because he is a very strong character, as you see from the first two books. Um, but he's not your typical hero also because he doesn't have a law enforcement background. He's not ex-military or anything like that. Um, so he has to rise to the challenge. And how he's kind of sucked into um, the world of South Beach security is that he thinks somebody's trying to hack his latest program that he thinks could be a very dangerous program um, because it calculates probabilities. And I kind of thought about this. Um, if you think of minority report or person mm -hmm. of interest, did you ever, mm -hmm. person of interest was one of my faves. Um, so his program kind of sucks data in from all kinds of different places and can say, you know, there's an 85% probability that this person did it, or this is going to happen, whatever. And the book starts off by him telling everybody in South, South Beach security that they're all going to be dead. <laughs> within a very short time um so now the thing is is this program right how are we going to stop this none of us wants to be dead they're all people obviously in their mid mid to late 20s and 30s um and so that's how the, the story begins so it's kind of a fun story because there are really two plots number one is who's trying to steal the program and is the program really that dangerous? And number two, who's really out to kill everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a fun story to interweave that one action plot, but two action plot um, with Mia and John's uh, romance. And of course, one of my favorite tropes is second chance at love. Um, and so this really is a second chance for, for Mia and John who kind of have gotten together and it, didn't quite work out for a number of reasons and nobody really even knows that they got together when the book starts and it's a chance for them to reconnect and kind of really find out who they are um, when they're challenged by this threat to the program and to the lives of everyone that that Mia holds dear including herself. Well, I just have to say, listeners, on the other side of South Beach, Caridad had a Hallmark book called South Beach Love that was also turned into a movie. So I just have to plug that because that book was fantastic. And I thought they did a great job with the movie. They did. They did. It was. And it's very different because obviously you got your kind of dark and dangerous thing. And South Beach Love was all brightness and love and family. <laughs> and food. Yes. Yeah. No kiss until the end. Although they kiss more than once in the movie. Um, and of course, William Levy is just really kind of very handsome. Yeah. Um, I got to meet him and everybody. We went down to watch the filming, which was an, you know, an experience uh, to see them filming. Uh, they actually filmed in downtown St. St. Petersburg, um, not Miami, which was kind of interesting. Um, but they got the vibe and everything mm -hmm. for the area. And it was just like a unique experience yeah. to to yeah. be there watching them film something you'd written. Just always so, so proud to see category writers like 
your book being adapted to film, you know, even if it's something oh, else, if, even if it's exciting. a single title, it's like, yes, she's one of ours and she did it. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> that was actually my second brush with Hollywood because I don't know if you know, I ghost wrote the Jane the Virgin book. Mm. And that oh. was amazing working with the showrunners and doing it in a very short period of time because they decided just as they were finishing the season that they wanted this book to come out for the season. So I worked with the editor. We literally wrote this book in a month and I had to take time off from work. I was writing 24 seven. I was writing in the morning. I was writing at night. I would write all day on Friday. I mean, to get this done. Um, and we were coordinating every week with the showrunners. Is this good? Do you want us to add anything? And it was it was an amazing experience, but it, it was very different. And you're um, a pretty big deal card, Adam. Just saying. Yeah. Wow, I thought you knew that. <laughs> it was fun. It awesome. was such. It was so amazing, but like so crazy because, like I said, my boss is like, "Why do you need all this time off?" And I'm like, "Because I'm doing a television show thing." Right. He's looking at me like Jane I'm crazy. the Virgin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and then I'm telling him like, I have a movie thing, and he's like, "What?" <laughs> I'm like, well, I retired anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> it was time. I was done being a lawyer. It was time. <laughs> well, when you know that you're starting a new series, do you already know the protagonists in the books or like who they're going to be? Or do they kind of come to you as you're writing? Like, we know you, you, you're a true crime lover. So is it like you've seen something and the plot comes to you? Or is it one of the characters? It's like, hey, this is me. And this is what I did. Like, how does how do they come to you? How do they present themselves? Hey, Ashley, this is weird. I think this is why I have that that romance action thing. The characters come first. Okay. Which is very weird. Um, but I get an idea for like, okay, who's this character going to be? And you know, um, are they going to be law enforcement, military? Who's going to be the one really I want to say in charge who's going to be primary because like for this book that I'm writing, it's really the heroine who is the one who has the experience to solve the crime, not the hero. And so I have to make those decisions. Like who's the one who's really going to be controlling where the action is and why, you know, what unique skill do they bring so that they're the ones who can, who can do this. And if not like with John Wilson and, and Biscayne Bay breach, his skill is somewhere else, but it, it kind of interweaves with Mia's background and things like that. Um, so the characters really come first. And then I kind of try to decide what's going to be the best storyline to bring out their weaknesses and their strengths. Um, because one of the things is I think readers like to see characters rise above themselves, you know, and do something that really takes them out of their comfort zone and makes them become heroic because like, you know, you have superheroes and people always say this, they can't die, they can't this, they can't that. So what's their risk? What is their thing? What's um, the stake? <laughs> there's nothing at stake. If you can't die, you can't this, you can't that. So you have to, I think you have to create a character that does have that risk of failing. And so I always look at the characters and then I try to pick a plot that's going to highlight that. And when I get that, basic idea then I kind of do a bible where you know this is book one and what are we going to see of them in book two kind of um how are they going to interact because again like as a reader I like seeing where the characters have gone from earlier books um and then so I kind of lay that out across however many books like 
the next South Beach security is going to be four books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to have canines. And that's the thing because now you got dog heroes. <laughs> oh, I love a dog hero. <laughs> yeah, that you have to kind of work in. I even gave, you know, in decoy training, there was a dog romance. <laughs> you know, the two little dogs kind of were kind of happy with each other. Um, so you have to think about all these things. And that's the one thing I've got to work the dogs in. What do they do? What are their skills? Um, so I do create a whole Bible before I actually, you know, sit down and start writing. As a mystery writer, do you know who done it when you start writing the book? Yeah, definitely. I definitely know who done it, how to hide how they did it and what red herrings to put in so that people don't know right away. Uh, who was the who done it? Because I think, like I said, one of the reasons I, I stopped reading was I, I kind of figured it out right away. I don't want readers to know right away. And I think that was fun. You know, some people, uh, when they read Biscayne Breach, said, Oh my God, I didn't see that coming. I didn't realize that's what had been happening over the first two books. So I thought that was fun for me that I managed to not give it away, um, you know, in the earlier books, exactly what was going to be going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, let's get into some writing questions. So set the scene for us here. You begin to sit down. You sit down to begin working on your current work in progress. Early bird or night owl? Definitely. Or even midday dove. What time of day do you prefer to write? Midday dove. That's a new (laughs) one. No, definitely an early bird. I'm usually up by 6 or 6.30. I write for three or four hours. And at night, I have a tendency to work on social media things. But all my writing is done mostly in the morning. What you've kind of told us so far that you you do a lot of plotting, but do you do any any element of pantsing? I'm a plotster. Like I yes. said, I, I do about the first 10 chapters and there's at least 20 something in a book. So after those first 10, and sometimes I have to confess after about four or five, I'm kind of on my own way. So yeah, I, I call myself a plotster. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> well, if it's a project you've already been working on when you sit down today are you rereading over the previous day's work before beginning or no no i i will reread the first three chapters before i send it to my editor for approval i'll reread those uh two two and three times to make sure that i've kind of laid the foundation for the storyline who's going to be the hero who's going to be the heroine and what's going to be happening um action wise um once i'm satisfied with that i just keep on writing are there any necessities you need around while you're writing coffee Coffee, 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 like most writers. In fact, that if I, I have my cup here and sometimes after it's empty, I'm still reaching for it and taking a sip and I'm like, yeah. oh, damn, I got to get more coffee. <laughs> All right, let's get into some backlist questions. I can't wait to hear your answers to these. Which oh book from okay. your backlist, which book from your backlist do yeah. you remember laughing the most while writing? Um, I think it has to be South Beach Love. Um, because in the original version, um, not the movie version, the antics of the two teens yes. as they're competing with each other and as they're trying to get their their aunt and uncle together. And then afterwards, during the quinceañera, where they're wearing their soccer cleats and things like that, they really just were funny for me. Um, and I wrote them to be funny, um, you know, given that I knew I, I was hoping it would eventually be a movie. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that didn't make it into the movie. <laughs> Which book from your backlist was the toughest to write? Um, the toughest. I think Temptation Calls, which was, I think, I don't know, number three or five in the in the, the calling is. Um, I had a very strong vision of the heroine, 
Um, she was mixed race. She'd had a very difficult life. She had domestic violence with an abusive husband and then was raped to become a vampire. And it was very, you know, but I knew that's what I wanted because I wanted her to show how despite all this, she was running a shelter for abused women. She'd overcome this in life. Um, she was learning, she was dealing with being a vampire and having this life that just went on and on by surrounding herself with women who needed her. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. it was a difficult book. Um, I made her mixed race at the time because she interlaces with Ryder's story who happened to own a plantation, um, which again, you know, this was contrary to a lot of thoughts, but, you know, Ryder didn't have slaves. He was actually a very caring person. And I wanted to show that side of it, which again is difficult and not necessarily um, woke. But the, the, you know, the fact was he was a good man who dealt with his, dealt with people fairly and dealt with her fairly. Um, and she was the one who turned him. Um, mm. So there's this whole convoluted thing. Um, so it's very difficult to write these very um, difficult issues right? Um, and yet I thought it, it was one of my best books in giving her a happily ever after and having a different vampire in that story because it was not the vampire, it was a chupacabra who was, you know, the the character there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there a book that you feel that readers have reached out to you about the most? Um, believe it or not, Darkness Calls, the first one in the series. Um People um, just really enjoyed that book. They would write to me and say, I love that you had such a strong heroine. I hadn't really been seeing that in romance books. They liked that she was diverse. They liked the twist at the end. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but there is a twist at the end um, about the happily ever after that I actually had to battle the editors about. <laughs> um, they wanted me to do one thing and I said, just let me write it and then you could decide. But I didn't want the ending they wanted. Um, and just people, it just resonated with people, um, for whatever reasons, they just loved the different elements that they hadn't been seeing in romance. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just one that I do hear from people a lot and people still say, oh, that's one of my favorite books of yours. Is there a book in your backlist that you feel taught you something about yourself as a writer? Um, I think the family she never met, um, for the longest time I had been trying to write I wouldn't say a memoir, but I tried to write about my mom. My mom I lost my mom when I was very young. Um, I was only 22. She was an amazing woman who led an amazing life. Sorry, I'm getting a little um, choked up. It's okay. um, and it's totally um, fine. Yeah, and I always wanted, sorry, I'm losing power here. Um, and I always wanted to write her story. Um, and I just found that no matter how I, I sat down to do it, I couldn't. Um, and then my editor asked me for a more diverse book and it was the other characters that came to me. And I found that these other characters helped me to tell her story in this fictionalized way. Um, and it kind of helped me understand what I was feeling about her and get it out on the page and get those family stories out on the page so that people could experience my immigrant experience through these characters. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just taught me as a writer that it's okay to have these feelings about what you're writing and that 
there are ways of getting it out and not yeah. keeping it bottled up, you know? And for yeah. me, it was through this fictionalized family. And a lot of the stories there are, are real stories. And I actually did an annotated version for my daughter where I gave her the real stories um, and more about them um, in a copy of the book. I love oh. that you did that for her. Yeah. That's so awesome. Well, is there a book that you, in your backlist that felt like you put a lot of research into writing it? A lot of research went into it. Yeah. Um, I think even though this doesn't, the title doesn't really do justice what the book is about. Sins of the Flesh. Um, I was a biology major. Okay. And I always uh, was fascinated by genetics and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the heroine in um, in Sins of the Flesh is undergoing a radical treatment um, that is using gene expression theories. And so I had to do a lot more research beyond what I already knew about that and the funny thing is you know she had glowing skin and people would say to me that's not real and that year they awarded the nobel prize to the people who had developed this glowing uh gene expression tracking (laughs) and i would put videos up like look at these glowing rabbits and look at these glowing cats because people didn't believe that was real life science um but it was so yeah so that was the one that i had to do the most research on <laughs> this is so cool. so cool is there a book in your backlist with a character or scene that still comes across your mind um again definitely darkness calls um there's a scene early on in the book where uh diana who's the heroine runs across Ryder in the alley and they duke it out in the alley um, and it's so visual for me because I could visualize this dark alley with cobblestones, you know, down in lower Manhattan where you still have these tiny little, you know, uh, back paths. Um, and yeah, it's still vivid for me um, how she kicked his ass in the start of the book. <laughs> well, is there a book in your backlist that for whatever reason you were nervous about its release? Um, definitely the family she never met again, because um there was so much of my real life personal things in there um so that was definitely how are people going to respond to this how how are people going to respond to my immigrant experience to how does it match theirs you know one Mm -hmm. of the things you always we used to hear with Encanto that's not Latino enough and you would hear this from white editors who went to Yale it's like Mm -hmm. how do you know this isn't Latino enough (laughs) you know everybody has a different experience you know I grew up in Levittown it was mostly white it was mostly you know other kinds of immigrants Polish Italian German Irish you know working class blue collar Mm -hmm. you know how can you tell me this isn't Latino enough because it was my Latino experience um and so um you know, I said it in Miami because people, that's what people expect from Cubans, but lots of Cubans grew up in other places, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was the one I think I was most worried about because it was the most personal book I've ever written. I think it's always interesting. Like they, these, these publishers, they want more diversity, but then, and it's like, but, and they really want the experience. They want the Latino experience. They want the black experience. And then it's like, well, that's not, black enough and it's like well what what do you kind of expect all of our stories to look like you know (laughs) it's it's almost like i hate to say it like they think all of us grew up in the barrio we wear hats with fruit on them 
you know, we go Gucci Gucci, like Charo used to do. No, like we all have a different experience. <laughs> and this is my experience, you know? Um, yeah. It's it, yeah. And yeah. again, it's coming from people who aren't even diverse sometimes. It's frustrating. Yeah. Well, let's get into some round out questions. But is one book you wish you could read again for the first time? Oh God, Wolf and the Dove is my absolute favorite book. Uh, I've reread it a bunch of times. I wish I could reread it for the first time again and see if I still love it. it it's set during the Norman invasion. It's an, it's an oldie. You should read what, it. There's a lot of controversy is, about that book. I was gonna say, what is it about it that you're like, it's still just such a fave? The heroine was so strong in that book. Mm. It was one of the first times that I saw a heroine who literally went, went nose to nose with this large, I don't think he was Viking. Maybe he was, his name was Wolfgar, but with this large Viking guy with a sword and armor and she's nose to nose with him. And like, you're not going to push me around. It was yeah. the first time I saw a heroine with that kind of backbone and standing well, up not only for herself, but for her people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have any under the bed stories? And if you do tell us about one of them, something that you've written that'll never see the light of day. Well, uh, the one that I mentioned, the story set during the Cuban revolution, mm, yeah. um, which is about a, um, a Cuban female rebel, um, loosely based on my mother, um, who falls in love with a wealthy American and who gets caught up in the whole, um, Cuban revolution right around the time when it's all going to blow up and Castro is going to take Cuba over. Um, and it was the one that Fern first saw many years ago, and it's just been sitting under the bed that, and, and the follow-up to it, um, which was about, um, a young woman who is a singer and starting to sing Latin songs in America, um, at a time when that wasn't necessarily popular. Um, I think the one, the second one is probably dated given that we do have so many Latin singers that are popular now. Um, but the first one I, I still toy with, um, kind of redoing it. Yeah. I think we should just slide both of them from underneath the bed. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> What's a romance you've read within the past few years that reminded you why you love the genre? Um, I think I have to pick two. I had to think about this. The Shell Collector by Nancy Nagel mm. and The Cliff House by Rayanne Fain. Uh, I just think they, they epitomize uh, the best of romance in terms of just making you feel good, making you cry, making you want more by the time the book is over. Um, yeah. they're both just fabulous writers. I can't say enough about Nancy and Rayanne. They're, they're the cream of the crop in romance. Yeah. Rayanne Thane was one of my first romance authors yeah. when I found the genre and she wrote for intimate moments too. And she, she loves, sliding, she loves putting romantic suspense in those stories. Yeah. Don't yeah, be fooled by the covers. I, <laughs> I think one of the best books by her that just really took me off was it was it was called dancing in the moonlight and the heroine was a war veteran who was missing a leg and i was just like wow this is just so different and yeah. so romantic and so yeah that was an instant fan yeah well tell us who was your teenage celebrity crush oh and he still is a crush rob lowe Oh my God, that man doesn't age. I love that he's yeah. still a crush. <laughs> oh my gosh, he still as handsome now as he was back then. Maybe more so. <laughs> Name one film you will never stop watching. Okay, you're going to laugh at this one. The Replacements with Keanu Reeves. We would oh, okay. laugh. No. We love, I love it. That. 
Bird movie. I love that movie. I even have a Falco shirt. Okay, tell us one hill that you will wholeheartedly die on. Um, hold on. The American dream is alive and still worth fighting for. Okay. As someone whose family escaped communism and and achieved the American dream, I wholeheartedly believe it's still there and it's still doable. What is one of your favorite romance tropes to read? Second chance at love. Absolutely love it. Um, I love seeing people kind of learn from their mistakes to get there happily ever after. And I think after that, the next one would have to be uh, friends to lovers. Yeah. Uh, I love it when people realize, duh, you know, <laughs> he's been right in front of my face this whole time. <laughs> yeah. You're so great. And I've always known that, but yeah. now I see it differently. Wait, wait, she took her glasses off and she's beautiful. That's a yeah. little silly, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, can you share with us what you have coming up next? Um, well, I, as I mentioned, um, I do have a spinoff to South Beach Security. The canine series will be out in summer of 2024, which is quite a ways away. Um, but in the meantime, I do have some of my Nocturne cravings that I'm re-releasing on Kindle Unlimited. So people who have that can read them for free. Very sexy stories, paranormals. Um, I actually loved writing them because they challenged me to be erotic, but also have a believable romance in there. Um, and I'll also probably be re-releasing some other kind of romantic suspense ones um, that have a paranormal twist, Aztec Gold. Um, which is about an Aztec god that is found by these people searching for um, a Mexican temple and also the Fifth Kingdom, um, which is also set in Mexico and revolves around the um, Mexican sunstone um, that I actually got to see when I visited Mexico. So that was very cool. Um, so I'll have a number of re-releases of some of my favorite uh, books that I've gotten the rights back to um, leading up to the canine series in summer of 2024 from Harlequin Intrigue. This is so exciting. Oh my Very gosh. Exciting. It is. It is. I'm going to snatch up all those re-releases on Kindle. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start. Yeah, I'm going to start putting more and more of them out on, on Kindle Unlimited. Okay. Well, lastly, where can everyone follow you online? Well, I'm on, uh, obviously, uh, social media and various places, but you can find links to all of those, as well as a daily blog that I do at uh, www.caridad.com. And that's spelled C-A-R-I-D-A-D.com. So it's easy. You don't even have to remember the last name. People always misspell it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. This has been thank just you. so incredible. It's been, it's been so awesome to ask you all these questions and you've had oh, such thank an amazing writing career and we can't wait to see like where you go from here. It's so exciting. So, well, thank you. Thank you, Brian Aaron. I really appreciate it. And your love for category because really, I love it. I couldn't wait to get back into into writing it and meeting up with all my old pals after so many years. Um, it's oh, it's just fantastic, and uh, I'm so happy you guys have enjoyed reading all the other books, and I hope you'll enjoy all the ones to come. Mm -hmm.